Okay, well, we've been talking about different animals, and the animals uh, are a vehicle to pick different lessons out of the Bible. We've been going through, picking out different ones, and uh, this week, I wanted to do the deer. Now, if you look at a deer, um, they call them all different sorts of things in the Bible. Anything but deer, just about, is what they use. Uh, But that's what we want to talk about today, is a deer. And so, we're going to start off in Genesis chapter number 49... Genesis chapter 49. Now you have to know a little bit of background here. And uh, Jacob is in here. And Jacob, of course, is the father of all of the tribes of Israel. His name was changed to Israel. And he had 12 sons. And the 12 sons turned essentially into the 12 tribes of Israel. And near the end of Jacob's life... It was typical that, of course, just like today, family gathers around, okay, as as Jacob's is nearing the end of his life, and Jacob has some things he wants to say to his sons, all right? So he goes through each of his sons and tells them something, uh, kind of on his deathbed, or at least in the last times of his life, and I wanted to pick one out. It was a very interesting thing that they talked about. Each little thing he had for one of his sons One of them had to do with a deer. And I thought the words were very interesting. As we we look into Genesis chapter 49, he tells one of his sons one thing about a deer. And we'll, we'll look into that a little bit. Genesis 49, verse number 21. And this is one of his sons named Naphtali. All right, you don't hear a lot about the tribe of Naphtali. But here it is. Here is what Jacob has to say about Naphtali. Naphtali is a hind, that is a deer, let loose. He giveth goodly words. So when I was growing up in my family, animals were meant to be loose. Okay, (laughs) My grandfather always wanted all animals to be wild and loose and free. So it was very interesting. I had chickens, and I had a ton of these chickens. Now, he had had chickens for years, and his roamed free and wild all across uh, the property that he had had. And so I got a group of chickens, and there was probably, I don't know, a half a dozen of them or so. And my chickens would roam free. I'd shut them up every night, and then every day I'd let them out and go around. Well, my grandfather had spent many, many, many hours taking his trees and putting them in the ground, these little tiny trees, and then he took all uh, mulch and laid it around all of his trees. Now, he'd spent a long, long time. My chickens, of course, came and scratched all the mulch away, right? Because they thought, hey, there's worms under there, and dug it all out and got it. So a couple of times, he's like, what's happening to my mulch? Of course, he was always want the animals free, you know, the animals free. So pretty soon he realizes and he sees that it's my chickens that are supposed to be free. And he all of a sudden offers to buy me chicken wire (laughs) to keep the chickens all penned up. And, uh, well, we came to a good compromise anyways, (laughs) how we were able to let them loose sometimes. Uh, all animals he felt should be free. So I also had a rooster, 
And that rooster was free all the time when I let him out each day. And my grandmother carried a broom with her because that chicken came after almost everybody. Now, never came after me. I don't know. I turned around and watched him, and he'd bat his wing and look around, and he was going to come after me. I guess that was probably the one time he came after me. I grabbed him around the throat and squeezed real hard, and then he never came after me again. He was just fine. (laughs) So freedom, though, is one of those things that's important. And if you know anything about deer, if you've ever really seen deer in the wild, not necessarily from a car or when they know you're there, but if you've been quiet enough to watch deer, whether it's from a window or from somewhere else, whether you're in the woods or not, and see what they do, they are one of the most graceful animals that you have ever seen. But there is something about a deer that says that animal should be free. You could try to cage it and pen it in. In fact, I know the Nesbits spend lots of time and lots of money putting fence way up high to try to keep the deer out of their apples, right? And yet, the higher the fence they put, the higher the deer seem to jump, right? That's about it. They just seem, they don't, they don't look at anything as a barrier. They are free. They go where they want. Deer are an incredible creature, graceful. They're able to walk through and move through things that you and I struggle with. Now, I've seen some big deer, and I've seen them with great big racks on their head, and I've seen those great big racks run through the brush. I get caught in the brush. My hat gets pulled off, and I'm tripping and falling, and that deer with a great big forked rack can run right through there because he's meant to be free. He's built to be free, all right? If you cage a deer up, you don't want to see the consequences of trying to hold him in. Not meant to be caged up. So that's the way that Jacob describes his son Naphtali. He says, he is like a deer let loose. Like he's been all captured up and bound up and all of a sudden you let him free. And out he bounds, boom, 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 and he's, he's out And so you say, that is the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. Now, how does that relate to what he is? Well, at the end of the verse, it gives you that clue. That deer, that deer that is free, that's let free as it bounds away, is like goodly words. Apparently, Naphtali was a man who had the ability to use his words in a very appropriate way. A very interesting and a very effective way. He said when the words came out of Naphtali's mouth, he spoke when they went free, and they were like a great picture of a deer running across. They affected everybody. People looked at them and said, that's the most beautiful thing I've seen. Some people have the ability to use their words to help affect people. Their words are graceful. Now, God's words are often graceful. God's words are that way. But God's people need to have words like Naphtali. When you release your words, do they go out as something that's beautiful or maybe not so much? That's what you got to think about. The lesson you get from this free 
dear is when you release your words from your mouth, are they beautiful? Are they graceful? Or are they angry? Are they thoughtless? Do they just roll out of your mouth? The very first thing that rolls into your head comes right out your tongue. Some of us have that connection. Must be right from your brain to your tongue, right? Because you think it and you say it. Okay? Can't stop it, right? And yet, that's not really true. A good, well-placed word, a thoughtful word, a kind word is important and will go much, much further in this world. We are put out as lights in this community to be that good example. To have people come and say, I don't know what it is about that person, but there's something I just can't explain. Like when you look at that beautiful deer as they walk through, just the way they walk, the way they move, the way they jump, and you say, man, there's something beautiful about that deer. They're loose and they're free and I can't even describe what they're like. You want you and your words to be described like that amongst your friends and your family, on your Facebook accounts, all right? All the things that you have and say... Do you use them wisely? Are you careful? Now, if there's ever a time in our history that communication is most important, I would say this is one of those times for Christians. You go into a store, and I try not to frequent them anymore at all, and you look at everybody, nobody even looks at you anymore. You're all covered up. Faces are covered up. Nobody stops and waves. Nobody looks. Nobody acknowledges you. Nobody says anything kind or nice. They just go to their business and they leave. Now, I get it. It's very uncomfortable to be in stores. It's very uncomfortable to be in life with the shackles that have been put on us. But I will say this. Isn't it the time that it's the most important to use your words most kindly? Even if it's just somebody passing by, you say something to them. Just say, hey, have a great day. How many people said that to them? Probably nobody. We are still meant to be a light even when we have those struggles. It's important. I want you to know this, and I tell you this, because there's a generation out there who's being greatly affected by this. And I know there's rules and all sorts of things that have happened, but I have heard from multiple different kids, including my own, about the change in their school day. They're going to school. They sit in the lunchroom. They all stare forward. Nobody talks to each other. You got plexiglass and all things between them. Because those words that were so important for building relationships and that God, I mean, God sent his only son called the word, right? All about communication. Down here to earth to affect us, to change us, to show us something. 
we have to get those words out as well. There is a generation that is now being locked in a place, not communicating. And whatever the outcome of this whole thing will be, it will not be without a deep scar. And they know it because my kids have said that the school psychologist comes and talks to their class on a regular basis about how empty they feel. Third grade. There's something wrong. So it's important that we do this. It's important that what we do is a good example. Talking to people, being kind to people, and showing them. All right? Showing them what a real full life is with Christ in it. It has never been more important probably in our entire lives than what we do today. So let your words be free like Naphtali. Let them run like a deer. Let them go out and be graceful amongst people. Do it on purpose. Because naturally we won't do it. Right? We'll act like the rest of them. Reach out say hello to somebody. Even behind a mask they can hear it. Just think about the impact you can have. Let's go to another one. Psalm chapter 42, as we kind of switch gears here. Psalm chapter 42. Psalm 42, verse number 1 and 2. Now, you can ask my wife, ever since we've been married, that I am probably the thirstiest guy you've ever met in your life. doesn't matter what it is. I've always got a, a bottle of something or a cup of something near me. I do, right here, right now. It's hidden under my coat, right? <laughs> because I'm always thirsty. I'm always drinking something, whether it's water or milk or pop or something. I am always, always, it seems like, oh man, if I just had a drink, that'd be great. She just gets used to it after we've been together so many years, and she's like, well, you better go get a drink, okay? <laughs> or bring you a drink or something. And on the hot days, oh, it's even worse. I drink and drink and drink. On the cold days, when everybody's like, what are you doing? I still am thirsty. Constantly thirsty. It's one of those things that you always have to keep inputting to keep up and keep hydrated. All right? And it seems like you're just never satisfied enough. All right? This is about a deer that is thirsty. All right? So, uh, Psalm 42, verse number 1 and 2. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The living God. Now, a heart, I told you, I don't use the word deer, but a heart is the same thing as a deer, essentially. All right, They go and they tend to need to be near a water source, like any animal. But when they go, they drink for some time. Okay? They don't take one little sip and go. They go like after they've been running and they've been exerting energy and they're thirsty and they they look for and long for that place to drink. 
What he is saying, what David is saying here is, I have a thirst for something real. Okay, something real. And he says, the only thing I've found that is real is not necessarily form and ceremony or anything like that. I find that this is real because he is the living God. There's plenty of gods out there in this world that offer you no life. They offer you nothing. Okay? But emptiness over time. But the living God, he says, lives with you. Goes with you wherever you are. It's not like you come to meet him on Sunday in church and that's where he stays. Because he's out in life and he cares about every detail of what you're doing. Whether you're at work or at school or at a store or having fun or your home or wherever you are. He cares about the details of your life. That's a living God. He, he is alive and he wants to be in every aspect of your life. Now, if you've had that great thirst, like I've felt lots of times in my life. If you've had that great thirst and you know what that feels like. Without God, there's a dryness. Something missing. And there's only one way to fill it up, is to get him in your life. His presence in your life. And that means, how often do you drink? Well, if you don't drink, what do they say? Like two or three days and you're dead. Right? It's not very long that you have to drink as a human. You have to continually put it in your body. Go in and get a little more and get a little more and get a little more. That habit of getting a little bit more of God every day. A little bit more. Longing for something of God every day. That's what you want. The whole idea is that the world is less and less appealing to you. We sang that song about turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. When you look at God, the idea is the other stuff needs to melt away. God is living. And if there is any time in our life in which we need to focus on God, again, we're here. Is it real or isn't it real to you? What are you going to stand up for and believe in? What are you going to do about it? Is it worth it, whether it's cold outside or hot outside or whatever, for you to come and do this so that you get more of God? Is it that important to you, or is it not important? You have to make a decision. So Satan has his influence everywhere in this world. And his grip is tight. And it's wide. He's been working for a long, long time at it. Where do you stand? Do you long for God? Is it something you want daily? If you don't want him daily, then you're going to run short and you're going to be thirsty. But if you want him daily and you go after him, then he can satisfy. By the way, there's a side note on this satisfaction in life, seeking God. I like this because my grandfather forever... He had this 
idea that he needed to make venison stew. Okay? <laughs> and venison stew was his, like his greatest concoction he ever put together. So he would cook up gallons of this stuff all at once. And he had those little plastic uh, ice cream tubs that used to be round with the snap-on tops. He would freeze gallons of this stuff in his freezer. And unlike anyone else, because he was never like anyone else, every single day he would take a screwdriver and a hammer and chip out chunks of it and put it in a pot, okay? <laughs> and, and cook it for his, for his uh, lunch every single day. But that wasn't it, see, because the venison stew was just the base for his uh, love of this thing, he would find interesting things to put in his venison stew as he added to it. He's like, that's kind of plain. So he'd find stuff. Now there was everything from breadcrumbs to leftovers that he'd throw in there. And then one day, he went and took my grandmother some McDonald's stuff. And it was like a burger and french fries and things like that. And so she didn't eat the french fries. And he tried one. He never realized they were potatoes, by the way. I don't know. He was... <laughs> oh, boy. And he, he tried one. He said, those are pretty good. So he took them home and put them in his venison stew that day. <laughs> french fries and venison stew. Either way, okay, there's only so much that, that venison stew is going to... Uh, is going to actually sound good, okay? And probably with french fries, it's not very much. But there was venison stew one day, all right? And the book of Genesis talks about venison stew. And along the lines of longing for God and seeing what is important in your life, Genesis chapter 25, we go back to the story of two brothers... Genesis chapter 25, Jacob and Esau are two brothers, and this is a famous story. Jacob is that man that does not go out hunting, and Esau, he's out hunting all the time. And he had been out, and he'd been out for some days or some time, and he was as hungry as a bear. And when he came back, of course, Jacob was cooking some stew up, okay, and they called it pottage, all right, but it's the same thing, it's stew, all right, and Esau has a reaction to that stew. Now, he is hungry, I'll tell you, he's hungry. Verse number 29 of Genesis 25, and Jacob sod pottage, or he cooked stew, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint, and Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. So for a little pot of venison stew, as we talk about deer, Esau gave up something very important. Now, the first one, when we talked about Naphtali, 
Jacob had been giving his sons these blessings or these things from God, these messages from God. Esau, as the firstborn son, was, uh, he was owed his birthright. He would get a special blessing that only went to the firstborn son uh, from his father. And Esau, when on his father's deathbed, uh, would come to his father and say, okay, I'm ready for the blessing. And he would say, you know, say a specific blessing for Esau. Except, and that was only for the firstborn son, except he sold it for some stew. Because he said, I don't care. I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. Now, uh, we call that hyperbole in our house. We have a lot of it because we have young tweenagers. Kind of. <laughs> and everything's they're going to die if they don't get this, right? Probably not true, okay? <laughs> in fact, we've tested them on it. They didn't die yet, all right? So <laughs> the idea is this, that... Oftentimes, our stomach, or what we want, thinks more importantly, i got to have this now, than the long-term spiritual things. Okay? And that's what Esau did. That's what was so wrong with what Esau did. It wasn't that he ate a bowl of stew. It's that he didn't care about the spiritual blessings that he was going to get. He couldn't look long-term. He couldn't think about those things. He could only think about today, right now, I'm going to die. Okay, And it wasn't true. And what he did was gave up his most valuable possession for some stew. Right? And it sounds silly, but we do it often. We, we put other things that don't mean anything in front of our spiritual lives. Right? Most valuable thing... Christ says, what, what price can you put on a man's soul, right? That's your only possession that you hold solely till you give it to God, right? You hold that in your possession, your soul. Who you are, deep down, that spiritual thing, that's it. That's yours. And pretty much everything else in this world they can take from you. But they can't take that from you. So are you going to throw it out for something little? Or something that doesn't mean much. That's venison stew. A little story. Just to think about. Let's move on a little bit more. Isaiah, as we finish up the last one, we have Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. And again, we come back to a deer. We think about this deer. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 35, verse number 6. As I just read this, this verse, and then we'll explain it a little bit. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, or that is a deer. And the tongue of the dumb sing... For in the wilderness shall waters break out and the streams in the desert. A, a jumping deer, right? 
Now, it explains that there's a lame man, and then it describes him as a jumping deer. Now, if there's anything that you have seen that a deer can do, their legs are powerful. They can take that fence. Now, I don't know how high you can jump, if you guys are all triple jumpers in your day or whatever, uh, or not. But I think a good human triple jump might be half their height. Maybe. Right? Three feet. Maybe. Maybe a little more. If they're really good. Think about what a deer can jump. They can jump over their height. That's like me jumping six and a half feet in the air. And they can do it from standing still, right? And if they're really launching, they could probably make more than their height. A couple of feet more, even more than that, if they're really moving. Humans just can't do that, especially not a lame human. Now, if you're lame, that's probably the last thing you want to do is jump. So what is this difference they're describing? They're describing at some point... This lame person jumps like a deer. They're going to switch and change things up. This lame man jumps like a deer. Things turn opposite. And that's one thing you're going to talk about. Things turn opposite. That lame man jumps. Not just jumps up because he's healed but jumps like he's never been able to jump before something beyond supernatural now if we go back we're going to read verses five and six because that was just one piece of the of the list here there's a whole list verse five and six of isaiah 35 then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped And the lame man shall leap as a deer, or as a heart. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. All opposites. Everything's opposite. Those people who couldn't hear can now hear. People who couldn't see can now see. We feel often, and I think we feel like this in our world, that we are crippled at what we could do. We're crippled at where we should be. But you have to understand this, that God's plan, in the end, changes it. He's got the power to change things. He has the power... To go through and make things very much different. So that list of opposites, you say, well, I feel like the crippled side. Not so much the leaping other side. I feel like the blind side. I feel like the deaf side right now. Well, what is this that makes this change? We're going to skip back even to verse number three. Strengthen you the weak hands. Because we all feel like that sometimes. And confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. He will come 
and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame shall and the lame man shall leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for the wilderness shall break out, water shall break out, and streams in the desert. God, in his plan, in his wisdom, will come and give you strength beyond human ability, beyond what you think you normally can do. How far and how much can you endure? Well, it's not the question of your own strength. It's the question of God's strength. What are we here for? What is God going to do with this time in history? I don't know. But I do know that when God says, that's my people, and I will protect them, and I will strengthen their hand, and I will take away their fear. Be strong and fear not, for behold, your God will come. He is here for us in the midst of all the things that hold us back in this life now. In the midst of times that are tough. In the midst of times that you say, man, I don't even want to do this anymore. I came out of Walmart the other day and as I was looking, I had looked and kind of just been observing people, what they're doing. And all I could think of is, my kids are never going to see what I grew up with. My kids are never going to have the freedoms. And the sad thing is they might not even know what they missed. They're never going to see that. They're only going to see those angry people, those people that are covered, those people that are anonymous and, and seeming like they uh, are out in a sea of, of nothingness. They're going to live in that life. And I was pretty affected by that. thought the other day about that. And then I came across this verse, and God says, have no fear, I will strengthen you. Because even when everything seems like it's lame and crippled and falling apart, and I can't get through this, God says, no, 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 I will strengthen your hand. I will help you through this. I will be there. You will, you think you couldn't jump. I'm going to make you jump like a deer. I'm going to do things that are going to be amazing. Because God is in your life. God will strengthen you. That's what we need at this time. I know we need that more than any time it seems like. And it's the time to seek him. It's the time to come after him. To long for him. It's the time to look for the living God. It's the time to know that when you feel down. When you feel like you're hamstringed. God says, nah, you're not. I got a plan for you. I got a plan for all of this. He is in control. He is ready to help you, waiting to help you. So there's a few lessons we can pick up from a deer, from the deer in the Bible, or just a couple things just to think about freedom and grace, watching our words, being 
that example out there, letting them be beautiful and graceful and knowing God will help us when we seek him. Good lessons from a deer, good things from the Bible. Thank you very much. Have a good day.